SEP Fanfic Readings presents The Water Gaw by Smoky Baltic and Ectoheart. Chapter 7 Was it possible to have a purely emotional hangover? All night she'd had hazy dreams about Harry and Ron slipping away and returning, Ron pulling at her wrist, Harry's fingers brushing the back of her neck, waking up on the beach in the arms of Draco Malfoy, remembering how they had been laughing and fooling around yesterday, and how genuinely happy she had felt. She was flooded with guilt. She had fallen asleep, thinking about his sex appeal, instead of, you know, horcruxes, or how to overcome the mortal danger her best friends were facing. There was a bottomless pit in her stomach, and she curled in on herself a little, cradling her pain, feeling her throat constrict. Mm, not yet. Draco mumbled and tightened his hold, nestling into her warmth. She whimpered. It was too much. Whatever all this was, she'd partaken of too much of it too quickly. She marshaled her thoughts and her renegade emotions, and after a few more minutes, when Draco's breathing was back to being deep and even, she disentangled herself from him and slipped away. Drawing a centering breath, she stepped over toward the shore. Fog diffused the orange light of sunrise over the lock, a retreating shroud that revealed the reflection of the morning sky, and the quiet beauty of it chafed at her heart. She didn't deserve something so lovely. If she were a different person in a different time, but she wasn't. She crouched at the end of the lake, cupped her hands to draw up water to splash her face, taking some absolution from the shock of the cold. When the ripple subsided, her own face was reflected back to her. Her hair had grown long, and the curls were loose and voluminous after yesterday's swim. The weight she'd lost had sharpened her cheekbones and jaw. Long hours in the sun had bronzed her olive complexion and scattered freckles all over her nose. Her dark brows arched over inky, alien-looking eyes that were too big in her gaunt face. It was as if she'd been distilled, made smaller, but somehow intensified. She reminded herself more of a painting of Morgan Le Fay that she'd seen once than Hermione Granger. "'I'm becoming a wild thing,' she thought hazily. Shaking herself, she went about the business of her morning ablutions, changing into jeans, stoking the fire, and preparing pine-needle tea. Draco slept on, and she cursed the tranquility of the early morning. "'This is probably what people pay to go to hippy-dippy wilderness meditation excursions for,' she thought resentfully. She was an unwilling participant in an extended spiritual retreat. The past and the future had fallen away, with no books, no classes, no obligations beyond moving and surviving, and no opportunity to save Harry from mortal danger. Her thoughts had space. The distance was shifting and broadening her perspective. She had never lived with such immediacy, and it was thoroughly unsettling. Her fingers twitched with want of a book. When Draco finally roused himself, she deliberately picked a fight for the sake of distraction. She determinedly ignored the way his face was soft with sleep, and the way his long fingers flexed around his tin of tea. He was a prick. He would always be a prick. She was on a mission for the light, the right-hand woman to the chosen one, an emissary for the Order of the Phoenix. Today would be the day her vaunted intellect would deliver them from this primeval limbo. She muttered to Ron about how he was taking his sweet time, and packed their things before Draco had even finished his tea. He grumbled as she kicked sand over the remnants of their fire, but as she strode off toward the highest peak in view, he sauntered after her with a hand in his pocket, still sipping his tea. 
The fog had burned off the lock, and the unseasonably Scottish sunshine was persisting. When she glanced back to Draco, she saw his face was turned up toward the sun, the barest hint of a smile playing on his lips. Why was he being so... so... She gripped the strap of her beaded bag with white knuckles and pressed on. By mid-morning, he was baiting her with what she knew were deliberately contentious theories on transfiguration, trying to draw her into a conversation. By noon, she had succumbed to the temptation. He willfully conflated her arguments in support of creature rights with the conjuration of apparently sentient animals, and she was powerless to resist engaging in the spirited debate. The day was passing away, and her thoughts refused to settle on her grandiose objectives, or to wander off the scholastic tangents that they were generally wont to. No, her mind remained stubbornly fixed on the present, focused on their fluent discourse, and the way Draco couldn't quite keep a straight face as he made intentionally inflammatory assertions, and pushed his fringe out of his eyes, and veered toward the lock, until he had to dance away from the climbing tide. He pushed his sleeves up to his elbows, and she mentally digressed on the mystifying appeal of the corded muscle and prominent veins for a full quarter of an hour, before his dark mark startled her brain back into more seemly tracks. They began running through scraps of verse and liberally paraphrased prose to pass the time. Draco put on an offensively poor Scottish accent to quote Robert Burns. "'Oh, were my love yon lilac fair, we purple blossoms to the spring, and I a bird to shelter there, when wearied on my little wing. How I wad mourn when it was torn by autumn wild and winter rude!' Hermione recounted Ernest Hemingway's short story, The Short Happy Life of Francis McComer as best she could. They debated whether love looked on tempest or storms when it was never shaken in Shakespeare's sonnet 116. She did her best with sonnet 29. Draco clearly hated it, but said nothing. Before she knew it, the day was winding down, and they had reached their objective. By sticking to the shore of the lock, they had avoided the rolling terrain of the moors, which likely would have worn them down hours ago. It was only a short trek from there to find a sheltered spot in the coal between ancient peaks. Fortunately, they found it littered with large, sharp boulders that they could shelter among for the night. The branches they gathered were still mostly bare of leaves, but the weather had remained mild and the sky clear. Away from the wind, their fire and blankets would probably be sufficient for comfort. A mist rose to meet the descending darkness over the lock as they ate minestrone soup, boiled stinging nettles, and dried dates. They brewed tea with early, wild meadowsweet. Hermione pulled their blankets free of her little bag and shook them out over the patch of grass beside a sheltering boulder. Upwind from the smoke of their fire, Draco checked that they had enough wood gathered to see them through the night. They had habits now, an unspoken routine. Hermione ventured back to the shore of the lock so she could wash her face, change into her tracksuit bottoms, and divest herself of her bra. She braided her hair over her shoulder as she walked back toward the beacon of their fire. In her fleeting solitude, she had half-heartedly reprimanded herself again for allowing her focus to drift from Horcruxes, Voldemort, and all the legends and prophecies and riddles that she was meant to be solving. But she found she didn't have the energy to see the reprimand through to sincere self-flagellation. When she tucked herself in under the blankets, Draco urged her over. "'My leg is being a bit of a bother. Do you mind the other side?' It was comfortable and bizarrely domestic and she found she welcomed the contact of their shoulders and hips as they lay side by side. It was an anchor. It meant someone knew she was here, even if she was lost to her friends and forgotten by her family. She rolled to her side after a while, anticipating with a warm satisfaction that he would follow. 
She couldn't bite back her smile as his arm slipped around her, pillowing her head on his shoulder and settling his arm and hand on her hip, where his fingers began stroking gently back and forth in a soothing rhythm. She stared into the fire, now willfully ignoring absolutely everything she was supposed to be thinking about. What good did it do anyway? Her friends would be horrified if they could see her now, even more so if they could read her thoughts. But somehow, for right now, that was fine. This was hers. All hers. If the universe wouldn't give her any peace, she'd steal this sliver of it from the place and the person she was least supposed to find it in. The play of sparks over glowing embers, the suspense of waiting for twigs burned white to split, had almost lulled her to sleep when she felt Draco's hand slip from her hip to her waist. His palm began to track slowly back and forth along the hem of her jumper for a few moments, before his hand slipped beneath the layers of fabric. She sucked in a breath at the tentative brush of his fingers over the bare skin of her stomach and ribs, but did nothing to stop it. His fingers were flexing, the blunt end of his nails gently scraping, and she swore she could feel goose-flesh rising, the hair on the back of her neck standing on end. It went on and on, slow and deliberate, almost as if he weren't conscious of the way his ministrations were affecting her. But then he felt the brush of his thumb across the underwell of her breast. Her stomach flipped, and she arched into the delicious sensation. Her backside met with the hard proof that he was certainly no less affected than she. He stilled for a moment, but when she only pressed back more firmly, he boldly palmed the heavy flesh of her breast, circling over the pert nipple with his thumb. Her eyes fluttered closed, her breath coming shallow and quick. She was afraid to go on, but absolutely unwilling to consider stopping. Her mind was hazy, her body alight with sensation. She was acutely aware not only of his hand at her breast and his erection cradled by her arse, but of his breath at her neck and his thighs resting flush with hers. It was surreal. She didn't know how it started or where exactly it was going, but she wanted more. As he continued his teasing ministration, she couldn't help rocking back against him, wanting to feel his arousal. He began kneading more roughly, twisting at her nipples a little as she shifted until she found a better position, and rolled her hips so his cock was being stroked between her legs. He gave an almost pained groan, and then his hand retreated slowly, deliberately down her abdomen. For a moment she was afraid she'd scared him off, but when he met the waistband of her trousers, he did not stop. Long fingers slipped beneath the band of her knickers, and her breath hitched. She tensed in anticipation as he moved with a slow, delicious pressure until his hand fully cupped her bare sex. Unmoving, her eyes flicked open. Apparently he could be provoking even in this. Hermione knew her knickers were soaked. She literally throbbed with wanting more, but she waited, 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 until finally she physically couldn't stand it anymore. She clutched at the hand of the arm he'd threaded beneath her neck, and her hips began to move, simultaneously rocking her aching cunt into his hand and grinding her arse against the hard, pressing length of his cock. Evidently, it was what he was waiting for. His palm ground against her clit as his fingers stroked along her folds. She bent up the knee of her top leg to allow him better access. The long, clever digits she'd so begrudgingly admired now eagerly explored the intricacies of her most intimate place sliding through her slick warmth until a questing fingertip slipped within her, eliciting a feminine whimper. 
The way he was reaching around her made for the perfect angle, and he almost instantly found a bundle of nerves at her core, stroking over it, working it relentlessly. She held his free hand tighter as she moved with increasing abandon. His hips began to move as well, rocking back against her until together they found a rhythm. Even through their layers of clothing she could feel how thick and hard he was as he thrust against her. That feeling, just the idea of it, had her cunt bearing down harder on him. She desperately wanted to turn her head and kiss him, but somehow that was what she thought would be taking it too far. Instead, she bit her lip and tried to swallow back the moans and cries that were gathering in her throat, but the pressure in her hips was becoming unbearable. The knowledge that Draco was getting off just rubbing against her made her almost feral. His forehead pressed into her neck as he drew ragged breaths. She felt the stretch of him pressing a second finger within her, and little mewling noises poured from her lips. His fingers were rubbing, curling, just where she needed them to. She was close, so close. Her mouth opened, prepared to stutter out that she wanted to, needed to, was about to. Come. She just needed a little more, when she felt the graze of teeth at the back of her neck, followed by the fervent press of his lips. Without warning, the tension snapped, and she cried out as her whole body clenched, everything contracting down and in before releasing in a swell of pleasure that flooded her chest. Her toes curled, and her hips bucked wildly through the surges of her orgasm. Fuck. So. So. His voice was raw. His thrust came harder, and then stuttered. A moment later, he was groaning into her shoulder. They were both drunk on a cocktail of endorphins and exhaustion. Panting, they leaned heavily into each other, but said nothing. Hermione's mind stuttered over expletives, both effusive and disbelieving. Of all the things that had not gone to plan, this was definitely the most outrageous. Also, easily, her favorite. Hermione summoned up enough energy to cast a strategic scourgify over them, and then succumbed to sleep almost immediately, with Draco's hand still resting between her legs. When she woke the next morning, the sky was cloudy, the fire was out, and Draco's hand was cupping her breast. She blinked several times, verifying that she was, in fact, awake, and then did some very rapid mental processing. Oh, boy. Draco began to stir, and she tensed. Concerns about overwhelming awkwardness were suddenly eclipsed as she was seized by the idea he might be repulsed by what they had done. Like he demeaned himself by being with her in that way. Her pride cringed at the thought, but it unexpectedly struck a blow somewhere deeper and softer as well. She sucked in a breath, mentally preparing for whatever he might throw at her. What she was not expecting was him mumbling, Hey, through a languid stretch, giving her breast an affectionate sort of squeeze and then asking if she wanted to get an early start on the day. Hardly believing they were just going to take this in stride, she nodded in the affirmative and then set about readying to depart. Like everything was completely normal. Like Hermione Granger and Draco Malfoy getting off together was perfectly ordinary. Their camp was packed up and they were more than an hour into the climb when she finally gave up waiting for the other shoe to drop. It was a steep hike, and they mostly had to cut back and forth across the incline instead of attacking it head-on. Coats and jumpers were quickly stowed away in favor of shirt sleeves. Up close, it was much more daunting climb than it had appeared from a distance, and she guessed it would probably take two days to get to the top, all things considered. It was a necessary evil. Hermione hadn't said anything, but their food stock was running low. 
She had begun supplementing their meals with things she found growing wild, like nettles and kale, but it was too early in the year to be able to rely on foraging. Things were going to start getting much more difficult if they didn't find their way out soon. At least the physical exertion helped sustain the feeling that they were progressing. Hermione took the lead early on, picking careful routes up the steeper passes. The difficult hike wasn't conducive to conversation, and for once she actually found herself grateful for it. It was a helpful check against any impulses to bring up what happened the night before, something she was certain would lead to terrible, awkward, humiliating things. Still, they found ways to stay occupied. "'Powdered unicorn horn,' Draco called, slightly breathless with the climb. "'Powdered porcupine quills,' Hermione returned over her shoulder. "'Valerian root.' "'Taking the easy way out, huh? The syrup of hellebore.' "'It's cold strategy. You should try it,' he jeered. "'Powdered moonstone.' Hermione wasn't sure exactly how the game started. A sighting of a common potion ingredient, maybe. But it was certainly helping pass the time. One of them would name an ingredient, then the other would name another ingredient that it was used in a potion with, and they carried on alternating until they'd listed all the components for a potion, or until one of them screwed up. It got quite competitive. Debates on brewing methods and theory occasionally followed. It would have been a good distraction to have in the tent— she thought ruefully, but frowned to herself when she realized Harry and Ron probably would have thought she was trying to trick them into doing homework. Might not have been much of a challenge for her either, she conceded. Dried nettles! She started a new round as he drew up to where she'd stopped for a moment's rest. Porcupine quills, he offered as they continued on. Snake fangs! He paused, looking at her out of the corner of his eye. I don't think I know this one. Hermione guffawed. Oh, come on. It's elementary. Guess it's just not a potion I've ever needed. Wow. So we finally have an answer to the question of whether Malfoy is more proud or more vain, she smirked. Vanity wins. I don't know what you are talking about, he sniffed. You're honestly going to pretend you don't know how to make a cure for boils. A first-year potion. Is that what you were going for? I wouldn't know. I don't blemish. "'Then what's that spot on your chin?' she looked pointedly at his jaw. Draco clapped a hand over his chin, eyes wide. "'What?' Hermione bumped him with her shoulder, laughing as she picked up her pace to take the lead again. "'You're too easy.' "'So I don't have a spot?' he called after her. "'Granger!' She only laughed more and increased her clip, scrambling up a rocky bit of incline with gusto. A few hours later, though, her relative good humor was failing. Draco was struggling to keep up. At first she'd ribbed him about it, but as the day wore on, she realized he was truly laboring just to keep her in sight. He might be a spoiled ponce, but he was undeniably fit, much more so than she, to say nothing of a size advantage. Something was wrong. A knot of anxiety was forming in her gut. When she spotted a reasonably thick growth of trees not far off the line they'd be taking up the ridge, she stopped to wait for him to catch up. "'I think we should stop here for the day.' she said decisively, although it could hardly have been three o'clock. "'Are you sure?' He was wheezing lightly, and his brow glistened with perspiration. "'We could do with a good rest. Come on.' He didn't argue, which was a red flag in and of itself. The band of trees scattered along this portion of the slope really wasn't much, but they found a spot that seemed reasonably protected from the wind. Draco sat down heavily, leaning against the trunk of a large tree with his long legs stretched out and his head tipped back, 
saying he just needed a minute to rest. When Hermione returned a short while later from gathering up some kindling, he was fast asleep. His cheeks were still flushed pink, and there was a pinched look on his face. Sighing, she pulled the blankets from her bag and spread them over his legs. Then, carefully not to disturb him, she felt his forehead. Definitely warm. She cursed to herself. He probably caught a cold from that stupid swim. Of course, because obviously things weren't going badly enough. After getting the fire going, she sat down, resting her head in her hands and studying Draco as he slept. He looked all soft and boyish, and sort of pathetic, and she felt her heart give a distinct tug. She groaned. This truce, or whatever it was, was getting well out of hand. Even as she tried to summon up fortifying memories of all the ways she'd been insufferable and irritating over the past couple of weeks, she found herself unaccountably smiling. Fondly. She was in no way prepared to deal with the tender feelings toward Draco Malfoy. She could handle him being intelligent, could cope with him being easy to talk to, could even tolerate him being attractive. But provoking indefinable tenderness was way over the line, especially after last night. Yet there it was. Giving herself a mental shake, she tried to refocus on less complex problems. What to do for food. How they could get back to London. Where to find a wand. Horcruxes. And if her mind wandered back to Draco being sick, well, it was because of logistical concerns, a matter of considering liabilities. It was hours before he woke up, grumbling. Hey, did I fall asleep? Little bit. It's fine. I don't feel great. He pulled the blankets up to his shoulders. I know. Hermione frowned as she picked through the remaining tins in her bag, trying to decide what was most nourishing. This is a shit time to come down with a cold, Malfoy. She settled on Chickpea Doll. I don't think I'm sick. She fixed him with a look somewhere between pity and exasperation as she set aside her bag. Of course you are. You've caught a fever. She crawled over and pressed the back of her hand to his forehead to prove the point. I don't think... He swallowed. I don't think it's a cold. I think it's my leg. What? My leg. It's been hurting. It doesn't look right. What? Hermione's heart sank. Let me see. Before he had time to do anything, she pulled the blankets off and her fingers were working open the buckle of his belt. I can... He reached to do it himself, but Hermione swatted his hand away, already attacking his button and fly. He lifted his hips to allow her to haul down his jeans. Her hand flew to her mouth. The skin around the gashes on his upper thigh was a grayish purple, and a mottled of dark red blotches cascaded toward his knee. Malfoy! She breathed. When she met his gray eyes, it felt like she'd been run through. His face was set in grim expression. I know. Why didn't you say anything? Can't do anything about it. Didn't seem to be a point. But you complain about everything, she objected helplessly. Her eyes widened with insipid panic. How long has it been like this? It's just started hurting again in the last few days. The rash, I don't know, but it's getting worse. The pain, too. Okay, she blinked. Okay, shit. Draco started to pull his jeans back up, but she stopped him. We'll flush it with water. I'll find some sphagnum moss to pack it with, and then I think your suit trousers would be better than the denim. Is that Healer's orders? He raised an eyebrow. Yes. You just lay down and shut up. I mean, rest. I'll be right back. She hopped up and went off to where she thought she'd seen some moss. Her heart was pounding. This was bad. 
This was much worse than a cold. For the next hour or so she muttered away to herself as she undertook dressing the wound, making doll and tea, tending the fire, and being alternately caustic and kind toward her patient. Truthfully, she had no idea what she was doing, and a low-grade hysteria was taking over her, compelling her to snatch at whatever task, quip, or impulse presented itself. She wasn't prepared for this. Attempts at conversation were half-hearted. Draco was morose, and Hermione had no idea what to say any more. She forced him to drink tea and eat. Without any direct means of treatment, she reasoned that all they could do was give his body its best chance to heal itself. Rest, nourishment, hydration. He slept on and off while Hermione rambled and fidgeted until it was finally dark, and she tucked herself in under the blankets beside him. Hey, he said groggily, barely awake, and lifted his arm slightly in invitation. She slipped in against his side, laying her head in the crook of his shoulder, and tucking her leg between his, careful not to jostle the injured one. "'Good night,' she whispered, but he'd already fallen back to sleep.'